0: Hello, and welcome back to Meanwhile on the Farm, where we get back to the subject at hand. On each show, we take a current story and break it down with some facts, figures, and history. And after we gut it like a fish, I give you some pretty practical steps that you can actually do in order to conjure some change. Because, little darling, you're important and so is that voice of yours. (laughs) That's a typical format. But in the month of August, we've decided to, I say we, I've. I've decided to give a little nod to the school folks as they go back to school. Uh, here at Meanwhile on the Farm, we're going to go back to school, so to speak, with a little back to basics lesson for the month of August each week. I started with Episode 8, The History of Policing in America. Episode 9 was Black Wall Street. If you haven't listened to either of those, a lot of great information in there. Take a dive into those and then come back to this one. Now, I haven't released an episode in two weeks because of Japan and y'all jet lag tried to take me all the way out, but I will make up for it. I've given you two episodes this week, so after you listen to this one, keep the party going, settle in, and listen to the next one. So, here we are in episode 10. One thing consistent about every episode, no matter what the format is, is that we always discuss topics at the intersection of race. And before I tell you what today's topic is about, like it's a big secret, the titles in the episode, <laughs> I wanted to say that in honor of my 10th episode, I want to do an I appreciate you giveaway giveaway. Um, Some of y'all saw a few weeks ago how I posted on the Meanwhile on the Farm Instagram about radical dream pins, right? Well, in appreciation for you all listening, I want to give three people a set of pins for a total of six pins. For details on how to win, slide on over to my Instagram, meanwhile.on.the.farm, and you'll see how you can enter the contest, yeah? Okay, so episode 10. This episode, what I'm calling the Two Whole Hands episode, is about an official set of rules that were implemented in 1877 and continued through the Civil Rights Movement in 1965. Rules that created separate entrances, stores, and even water fountains for anyone with some extra bits of melanin in their skin. A set of rules that okayed hate, crimes, death, injustice, and the jailing of humans who wanted to just be humans a set of rules that immobilized millions of people. That set of rules was called the Black Codes. So that's the back-to-basics subject of episode 10, The Rise of the Black Codes. Class is now in session. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to, if you didn't hear it the first 12 times I said it, Meanwhile on the Farm. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm tired. Lord. You know, when I was younger, my mom and daddy would always talk about, when you get your own house, you can make your own rules. And all I wanted to do was be an adult so I can step as late as I wanted and eat ice cream for breakfast. FYI, the trade-off is hardly worth it. But they didn't tell you that it was a setup and that they lied. No. When you get your own house, you can't make your own rules. You have to do whatever it is that's going to pay these bills. Side note, that's not a PSA to sell meth, okay? So, don't get any ideas. They didn't talk about the bills until you actually wanted something. Like, ma, can I have some McDonald's? And let all the black people say, you got McDonald's money? (laughs) Speaking of black mama-isms, I think black mamas lie the most. Talking about they only know one thing. I know one thing. You better have that room clean when I get back. I know one thing, if I find that sock up in that drama, whoop your little tail. I know one thing, if you ain't back in this house by the time the street lights come on, I'm gonna knock your lights out. I'm happy to say that I still have my lights intact. <laughs> I love my moms, for real. I see why she was so tired. My dad, too, like at my age, they had three kids, a house, and was in and at every church function, working sometimes multiple jobs. It's crazy. And I'm over here like, which underwear should I match in my clothes just in case I get in an accident? A mess. <laughs> All have to say, I'm tired as an adult, as a human, and more importantly, as a black man, bringing it back home to the black codes. Now, I mentioned that I was going to be doing these episodes in order to avoid two part stories from one story, but this one is going to be a two parter. So I lied, but for good reason. The first part is going to talk about the rise of the black codes, how it went down. We're going to talk about how this snaky, slimy, shitty set of rules became a thing. Now, some of you might be scratching your head thinking the black codes. I never heard of the black codes. That's because they were more widely known as the Jim Crow laws. Why the name Jim Crow? Let's take it back. Once upon a time, there was a man named Thomas Dartmouth-Rice. He was a white American man, a playwright and an actor who often performed in blackface. So often, in fact, that it was what he was most associated with. He'd used what they called African-American colloquial language, songs and dance in a lot of his performances. He was so good at making fun of blacks that... He was one of the most popular minstrel show entertainers of his time. What's a minstrel show, you say? It was an American form of entertainment developed in the early 19th century where shows consisted of comic skits, variety acts, dancing, and music performances that depicted people specifically of African descent. Minstrel shows teased black people and painted them as stupid, lazy, jackasses, dunderheads, irrational, and naive. But that was only in America, right? Nope. Internationally, good old Thomas did a global tour. The name Jim Crow came from Rice's claim that he heard an elderly black man singing a tune called Jump Jim Crow. But that can't be confirmed. What can be confirmed is that this dingleberry made a living making fun of black slaves. And white people loved it. And eventually the word Jim Crow slid into a derogatory term for blacks. Last thing I'll say about Rice is that he put a little white boy in blackface, yay for teaching racism, in a sack. And then the boy would crawl out of the sack and emulate all of Rice's movements and steps while singing Me and My Shadow not the one from the 1920s. Because the Jim Crow character was so popular, it became, as mentioned, a derogatory term for Negro. So when the laws were formed in the late 19th century, the laws became the Jim Crow laws. Not behind anyone's back, but out in the open. So let's make a set of laws to hold you back and let's name the laws a derogatory term. It's kind of like saying the faggot laws, or the spick laws, or the kike laws. And just what were these laws or codes? I'll get to it in a second. It's equally as important to know why the hell they even existed. I'm just going to go ahead and state the obvious. Now, in several episodes of Meanwhile on the Farm, we talked about rules for blacks enforced by whites that had everything to do with mental suppression. And rules usually happened after something major took place and whites wanted to maintain control. Side note, white people did this to natives and Hispanics as well. Whites feared blacks. Whites knew about black power, maybe even more than blacks did. Whites needed to keep tabs on blacks because if if blacks were to all of a sudden realize who they were and how important they were and how independent they could actually be, it would mean them no longer allowing themselves to be suppressed, which could lead to a retaliation of epic proportions and the loss of things that they stole, including freedom. So that's the psychological reason why all of these laws were put in place. As a side note, all these damn side notes. If you can get into a person's head, you can have them believing things about themselves that aren't even close to being true. And that incorrect view informs the way they react to themselves and to society. If you don't believe me, look around. So these laws were put in place during that Reconstruction period of 1865 to 1877. Reconstruction from what? From the American Civil War. The American Civil War, which, by the way, was a war of Americans against Americans, lasted nearly four years from 1861 to 1865. But why was they fighting? Because one side of the country wanted to continue to demoralize, dismantle, and degrade humans, and the other side didn't. Yep, if you paid attention in school, you probably breezed over that with a two-period lesson, but back then when I was in school, and maybe you as well, I clearly understood that slavery was the primary controversy that started the American Civil War, no matter what history books in Texas are trying to tell you, Uh, in case you didn't know. The state of Texas is trying to update history books to communicate that slavery was a side issue in the Civil War and that it was just about states' rights. Yes, states' rights to own slaves. Literally rewriting history to cover up some bull. Look, George, if you toss a paper towel over that stain on the carpet, it's like it's not even there. During this Reconstruction period, there were actually federal laws that provided civil rights protections in the South for freedmen or the black former slaves, and the small percentage of blacks that were free before the war. Some blacks, and when I say some, I mean numbers like 750, could vote-ish. Now, we're all aware that there are two major political parties in the U.S., the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party of today is known for their association with a strong federal government and support for minority and women's rights, environmental protection, and progressive reforms. Now, that wasn't always the case. Prior to the 20th century, the Democratic Party was all about the slavery and not giving blacks the same rights. The Republican Party was the opposite. In fact, the Republican Party was founded in 1854 as a coalition that opposed the extension of slavery into Western territories before they had their big shift in 1965 after the Civil Rights Movement. In 1965, after the Civil Rights Movement, the Republican Party became what it's known as today. But back to the point. The Democrats back in the day were a bit of a hot mess. They assembled unofficial military groups like the White League and the Red Shirts to disrupt Republican organizing, to run any Republicans who were running for office out of town, and to frighten and menace blacks through the use of violence to suppress their voting. So those 750 voters that I mentioned earlier, they didn't really stand a chance. They enjoyed being alive in order to take care of their families. So they just didn't vote, or most of them didn't. And if they did, they realized that they were actually risking their lives. Voter fraud was a common practice, but What about the Black Codes? Perfect timing for your question. So these Democrats, even though America had kind of called it quits on slavery by making it illegal, they still wanted a way to make it legal to oppress Blacks. So they successfully regained political power in every Southern state. There was a group called the Democratic Redeemers who legislated the Black Codes. The Redeemers um, was a white supremacist group who wanted to hold on to the incorrect idea that whites were superior— Now, the Redeemers are a key part of this whole thing because they were the ones who regulated the Black Codes. The Redeemers, they didn't want to accept defeat. That defeat being that they were no longer able to own the four million slaves that were freed because of the 13th Amendment. So the goal was to separate the black population from the white population in order to keep blacks from achieving the same social and economic statuses that they had. One of those, fine, you're free, but you'll never be us, and we're going to make sure that you feel that same way, and if you don't, something bad can and will happen to you type situations. You know, those. The question is, how did these laws in 10 out of the 11 former Confederate states actually affect blacks? The Confederate states uh, were the states that decided to pull away from America, and they managed, and by managed, I mean started the war because of the 13th Amendment. They was mad. They were so mad that they started a war. So that dumb flag that people are still waving, talking about, it's history and it's not about slavery. It is, in fact, a direct symbol of the belief that slavery and racism are okay. The flag, both versions of it, there was a version that was white, that was literally called the white man's flag. And the second version was the one that they used in battle. It's the one that we see a lot today, the one that Mississippi incorporated into its flag. The flag exists because the Confederacy existed. And the Confederacy existed because they separated themselves from the Union and they separated themselves from the Union because they wanted to hold on to slavery. So there's that. So burn them all, all of them, all those stupid flags. 10 out of the 11 of these Confederate states, Mississippi was the first, started to make amendments or just flat-out new constitutions altogether in order to disenfranchise 4 million blacks and 10,000 poor whites. Poll taxes, comprehension tests, residency rules. There was some kind of grandfather clause that, Let literate whites vote, but for blacks, forget about it. It's time for recess.
1: Oh, no, I was learning so much.
0: I know you were, and I'm so glad for that. But all work and no play keeps the racists in your way. I guess you're right. Of course I am. So how about that recess, yeah? Yeah. Let's play a game, something like Jeopardy, where I give you an answer and you give me the question. I love that game. Whoa, you're... Really excited there. Uh, Okay, here we go. For 15 years, this racist president derailed efforts for the advancement of freed slaves. Who is Andrew Johnson? Correct. Especially during the Black Code era, this is how black schools were taken care of by whites.
1: What is vandalism and destruction?
0: Correct. This was something that black people feared while traveling together at night.
1: What is getting lost?
0: Oh, incorrect. So close. The correct answer is what is violence, torture, mutilation, and murder?
1: Dang it. It's okay.
0: There are still more chances to win. Let's keep going. This organization was formed in 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee, as a private club for Confederate Veterans.
1: What is the KKK? Very good. Lucky guess.
0: Well, you're good at guessing. And Timmy, as a bonus, these are the places where KKK members could be found.
1: What is the government? Civil organizations, the church, law enforcement, and in back alleys.
0: You are on a roll.
1: I like recess. Yeah?
0: Yeah? Glad you do. Is there more? I don't know. What do you think, audience? Is there more? I can't hear you. Is there more? Yay!
1: Can I pick the category? Sure. Okay, I'll take the spread of the black codes for 300, please.
0: Great. To where did blacks move to try and escape the black codes?
1: What is big cities? Spread of the black codes for 400, please.
0: This group of people noticed and didn't appreciate the influx of black inhabitants.
1: What is white city dwellers? Spread of the black culture 500, please.
0: Name an area where blacks were not allowed to be.
1: What are public parks?
0: And as a bonus,
1: theaters and restaurants.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Didn't read the answer, but correct. Correct. And these places were also cigarette
1: waiting rooms, water fountains, restrooms, building entrances, elevators, cemeteries, amusement park, cashier windows, public transportation, public schools, phone booths, hospitals, asylums, jails, and elderly and handicapped homes.
0: Okay, that's... um,
1: Are you going to talk about keeping blacks out of white neighborhoods and actual towns?
0: Well, I think you just did.
1: Okay. What about the 10 p.m. curfew for blacks?
0: Well, there was that too.
1: And what about blacks having to check and see if most of the residents on the street where they wanted to live happened to mostly be people that they could marry, a.k.a. black? You're not saying anything.
0: I was just waiting for you to be done. Oh. You want to continue with recess or you want to get back to it?
1: Let's get back to it. Okay. You sure? Yeah.
0: Positive? Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Here we go. Uh, Let's get back to class. Speaking of class, there were a few states that actually required separate textbooks for blacks and whites. They couldn't even be stored together. Ridiculous? Not as ridiculous as being sworn in on a different Bible than white people. Show of hands, any black people uh, listening, living with white people? Talking about just a roommate situation here. Yeah? If you're black, you're in trouble. And if you're white, you're banned from the white community. All this means that these black codes weren't just a bunch of all these rules and things that existed that just kind of affected blacks with a few hoops to jump through. No, it was the way blacks actually lived and the way they lived under the treatment of people who maintained the idea that darker skin was a mark of inferiority. It kept the idea that racism wasn't some bastardized idea. Instead, it made racism legitimate. I'm talking about Christians teaching this stuff. No, nothing against Christians, okay? This is not a religious podcast, but I'm just letting you know how extreme this was. They taught that whites were the chosen ones and blacks were cursed to be servants, which makes you wonder if they even read the Bible from which they preached about servanthood. I'd also like to know what text they used to uphold these theologies. And they also thought that God was in full support of the splitting of races. Common names for blacks at the time, niggers, coons, and darkies. Not just face-to-face, but in the newspapers and magazines as well. Y'all, even the children had games That promoted racism. And not just the ones, you know, out in the yard where it's like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a nigger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Bet you didn't know that came from there. I'm talking about board games. Let's make racism and bigotry and narrow mindedness and hate and ignorance fun. GTFO. Beyond laws, there was a black code etiquette which outlined the way that blacks were to behave when it came to whites. The idea was to reinforce over and over and over and over and over and over and over again the idea of the ludicrous, idiotic, imbecilic, dumb as idea that blacks were inferior to whites. Here are some of the black etiquette rules. Hold on to your butts. Black men could not reach out his hand to shake with a white man. It implied that they were socially equal. A black man cannot reach out his hand or any other body part to a white woman because there was always a risk of being accused of rape. Black people and white people could eat together. And if they had to, whites were served first, and there had to be a divider between them. Racist roll up to partition, please. A black man cannot lie to Siggy for a white woman. That's an act of intimacy. Blacks cannot show affection to one another in public, especially kissing because apparently this offended whites. Blacks did not get courtesy titles like Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Sir or Ma'am. They were called by first name only. But blacks were required to use those titles when talking about and to whites. They could only use the last name of the white people about and to whom they were talking. White person driving, if you're black, you're in the back. Or if it's a truck, in the bed of the truck. White drivers had the right of way at all intersections. According to Stetson Kennedy, the author of Jim Crow Guide, 1990, there were even rules for blacks when conversing with whites. Here are seven. Never assert or even intimate that a white person is lying. Never impute dishonorable intentions to a white person. Never suggest that a white person is from an inferior class. Never lay claim to or overly demonstrate superior knowledge or intelligence. Never curse a white person. Never laugh derisively at a white person. Never comment on the appearance of a white female. There's one that's super, super, super important in this mix. I mean, all of them are pretty dumb, but it's this middle one. Never lay claim to or overly demonstrate superior knowledge or intelligence. Be dumb around us. Child. Y'all, I wouldn't make it. I don't know if I will make it. I'm telling you right now, I'm so glad that I was born when I was born, even though sometimes I feel like I was born in the wrong decade. Jesus. Take me to the king. Okay, there were more, but you get the tip of the idea. If there were a book here, I would slam it shut. Here's why. In the 1950s is when these laws were supposedly done and over with. The 1950s. Okay, let's just say that it was 1955. Could have been a few years later. Could have been a few years earlier. Again, let's just go with 1955. That's only 64 years. That's not a lot of time. And you'd be a bit too optimistic to believe that we as a nation have healed from this bullshit. We have not. We have taken strides, but we have not healed, especially the black community. Not only were blacks freed with no means of assistance, but they were cut at the knees. But not only were they cut at the knees, there were black codes created in order to push them back and keep them in a certain disadvantaged place. 64 years ago. That's not a lot of time. I said that twice. Why? There's cleaning up to do still. Black people have a reputation, and there's a specific stereotype about communities that are predominantly black. 64 years ago. That's not a lot of time. That's the third time I'm saying this, because I want you to get it. And so often, people, white and black alike, want to know why, quote, black people are the way that they are. Rules and systems that were set up for people who happen to be black by white people. That's your answer. We trudge on. Of course, there are steps that we can take. But that's where it started. And we have to fix that. It's like going back in time to correct something so that you can build a proper foundation on it. Lynchings. The definition of lynch is to execute illegally. However, a lynching was a viable solution for blacks by white people in order to protect white women from being raped, to set an example to disobedient blacks, or for just plain fun. Now, we discussed last episode how there were whipping parties, which meant that whites would whip blacks for entertainment purposes. Lynchings were also a form of entertainment, almost an art. Well, that's taking it a little too far there, Corey. Now I mentioned before, but photographers will be present at lynchings, and we all can agree that photography is art, right? No, 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 I don't looked at a couple of Instagram profiles in my day. You know, I've seen some art via photo. Now, that in mind. Now I mentioned this before, but photographers will be present at lynchings and they would take photos of lynchings and go door to door selling these photos. Think about someone you love. A cousin, a brother friend, father, husband, wife, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, son, daughter, you. I don't care what color they are, but think about think about that. Think about that person. Now think about them being hung by their neck from a tree, killed, life, gone, because they tried to vote or tried to say hi to a neighbor or tried to apply for a job. Think about that. They're dead, but it doesn't end there. The photographer comes and he takes a photo of them as they're hanging, swaying in the wind, probably a different color because the oxygen has been cut off. They take a photo of them before they throw you his or her body and a crowd of people applauding and smiling because your cousin, brother, friend, father, husband, wife, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, daughters, dead body, Hanging from a tree was good, fun entertainment. Now, think about that photographer going into a dark room and printing photos of their bodies and choosing which ones were the best ones. Oh, this one this one really captured the moment. Do you see the twisted face? I remember this moment when his body jerked right before he took his last breath. Yeah, people would really want this one. And then this photographer goes around like a vacuum salesman, selling photos of that dead body. But then think about people saying, wow, look at, insert the name of your loved one here. This is beautiful. Now, how much are you selling these for? I'll take two. want to get one as a gift for my mom and my dad. They love those right over the fireplace. Guys and gals, this was less than 100 years ago. A lot less than 100 years ago. Also less than 100 years ago, in the 1940s, in communities all over the country, if you were property owners, you signed an agreement called a restrictive covenant. These covenants are contracts blocked blacks and sometimes other groups like Jews and Asians and members of the Latinx community from a lot of neighborhoods. For example, in Arlington County, Virginia, when a white purchaser bought a house, they signed that agreement. To never sell their house to, quote, persons of any race other than the white Caucasian race. The black coats. To drive out blacks and to maintain social inequality and to maintain the false idea that whites were slash are a superior race. Continuing on with these lynchings, there was a such thing as a mass lynching as well. Now, we talked about Black Wall Street, yeah? If you haven't listened to that episode, there are details on how that mass lynching went down. Give that a listen. That was one example. There were several other mass lynchings during the 1900s. And with these mass lynchings of black people by white people, there were three key facts about each one of them that made me go, hmm. Now There were more than three commonalities, but these are the three that stuck out. One, in each of the riots, with a few exceptions, the white people sparked the incident by attacking black people. The second commonality, rumor played a large role in the cause as in rumors of some kind of criminal activity by blacks against whites. Now, the media had a lot to do with this. They'd post rumors of stories about black criminal activity and then, well, see the previous commonality. And commonality number three, in almost every instance, the riots and fighting occurred within the black community, as in the whites came to where the blacks were, which I'm sure it was in addition to loss of lives, There was loss of livelihood, a.k.a. loss of infrastructure, like homes and schools, vandalism to other physical property. Why is this important? Because the Black Codes would not work without violence, because violence instilled fear and terror within the Black community, which was the whole goal, to strip them of everything that caused them to succeed. One step forward, four steps back. But here's the thing. Black people weren't just killed, as if they weren't bad enough. Their homes and businesses were destroyed. Why didn't they just raise up? Well, some tried to, and they ended up six feet deep. We think about the brokenness of a black community today. There's no ta-da to fixing it. All right, there is an evolution that has to take place. A A mindset has been put into play, and that mindset has helped to shape the current state of black communities. It's important to note that these acts and crimes that were committed with blacks on the receiving end went virtually unchecked. That means... Nobody really got arrested. And for years, blacks would lose almost everything that they secured, both land and lives. Here's the kicker of it all. More than 360,000 black men served in World War I, defending and protecting a country that hated them. And they were protected when they got back. I'm lying. They were not protected when they got back. They were lynched by white mobs. They were greeted with race riots. Crazy, huh? How's that for Veterans Day? Thank you for your service. Great. Corey, you've talked about these black codes, but so what? Well, it goes back to what I was saying. We look at black communities and the issues that lie within them and we think that it's solely by choice. And sure, at the end of the day, a person chooses to respond a certain way to a particular situation. But white people then and now are not innocent of initiating and perpetuating a system that suppresses and oppresses. Blacks had neighborhoods. They were burned down. Blacks had leaders. They were killed. Blacks were given ludicrous standards for living day to day. Meanwhile, anyone with white skin was able to skip about freely. And not only that, but whenever they did something illegal in the name of white supremacy, they were given a pass. You can't beat an entire people group into the ground and pretend like it never happened. You also can't beat an entire people group into the ground and much less than a hundred years later wonder why they are the way that they are. I mean, it only makes sense to me. It makes sense to you too, even though you may not want to face it. I mean, at least I hope it does. So that is the rise of the black codes. Now, before I wrap this up, I want to talk about something that's made little headlines. The burning Amazon, the, Amazon, just to let you know a little bit about it, is the world's largest rainforest and it spans eight countries and it covers about 40 percent of South America, which, to give you an idea, is nearly the size of two thirds of the United States. More than 30 million people live in the Amazon and it's home to a large number of mammals and birds and amphibians, reptiles, most of which are unique to that region. This place is so cool because a new plant or animal species is discovered there every two days the Amazon forest produces a little less than 10% of the Earth's oxygen. It's often referred to as the planet's lungs. Now, some reports say 20%, some reports say 10%. we are going to go with 10 In other words, an inferno in the Amazon, two-thirds of which is Brazil, threatens the rainforest's ecosystem, and that also affects the entire globe. Now, this fire has been going on for about three weeks now, and it's a, there's actually a lot of fires. And I actually just found out about it on August 21st. Maybe because it's a typical thing. It doesn't mean that it should be downplayed, but this is the biggest fire. And these fires are up to 85%. It's affecting oxygen and where CO2 goes. It warms the planet even more than it already does. So this forest is important. So here are some ways for you to not have to wait on politicians to do something about it, because let's face it, you could be waiting around like Miss Havisham with the shoe. Shout out to anyone who gets that reference. Number one, contribute to the Rainforest Trust, the Rainforest Alliance, or the Arbor Day Foundation. Their information is on the IG. Five bucks, five dollars. I'd like to point out that back in April, the Notre Dame Cathedral was on fire and one billion dollars was raised in two days. Just saying. Number two, buy products that feature the Rainforest Certification Seal. I'm talking coffee, chocolate, bananas. What does that still look like? It's on the Instagram. Number three, drive less and walk more. That decreases the amount of CO2 that's in the air. And if you're looking for a car right now, think about and maybe purchase a fuel-efficient car. Number four, adjust your thermostat a few degrees. Saves energy, and that also saves you money. And number five, cut down on your beef intake. Now, some of y'all might be mad at me on this one. But here's the thing. It's kind of funny. Cows produce a greenhouse gas called methane, which is 20. I'm laughing because I'm talking about cow farts. Cows produce a greenhouse gas called methane, which is 25 times more potent than CO2, the stuff we're trying to avoid. Cattle is responsible for 42% of all greenhouse gas emissions produced by livestock, which is 14.5% of total global emissions. The Rainforest Alliance has a list of the beef that doesn't come from Brazil that's safer. So it's not all bad news. And with that, we wrap up this episode, our third back to basics lesson, the rise of the Black Codes. The next episode is about the supposed fall of the Black Codes. And now it's time for the right stuff. This one is pretty cool to me because it involves some visual art. Hammond's House Museum in Atlanta is going to recognize excellence in Black visual art at an inaugural honors gala. The mission of the Hammond's House Museum is to preserve, exhibit, interpret, and increase public awareness about the contributions that visual artists of African descent have made to world culture. Artistic excellence, culture, and community are the focus of its vision. The event will remember Iconoclast photographer Roy D. Carava on the 100th anniversary of his birth, as well as honor seven individuals who elevate the visual art through their passion, creativity, and commitment to artistic and cultural excellence. The 2019 Hammond's House Honors will take place on September 12th at Southwest Arts Center, 915 New Hope Road Southwest in Atlanta. Tickets are available at hammondshouse.org events. If you're in Atlanta, listen to this. I'll post that so you can go out and support. The evening will kick off with a cocktail reception at 6.15 p.m., followed by the award show at 7.30 p.m. Monica Pearson and Lehman Rucker will serve as hosts. Uh, A quote from Leatrice Elzey, the executive director of Hammond's House Museum. We're excited about Hammond's House Honors. It's a signature event that perfectly aligns with our mission and enables us to elevate black visual culture. Equally important the event provides us with a rare opportunity to recognize and celebrate the artists, curators, arts professionals, and donors who drive the cultural ecosystem with rigor and intention. She added, the proceeds from Hammond's House honors will help us to continue to present the great art, thought-provoking public programs, and cultural and educational programming our audiences expect. So there's a lot of honoring that's happening and in, in all areas it's not just like oh the person who painted the best picture i mean we're talking about curators we're talking about creative people artistic excellence emerging artist awards this is, is is pretty cool so come through black visual artists if you're a black visual artist in atlanta pop on over there and see how you can get involved and that's lesson three in our back to basic section the rise of the black code now keep it going if you want to get to the supposed fall of the black code Hopefully something today was added to your perspective. A few more subjects to dig into before we get back to our regularly scheduled program. Hey, if you have any questions or concerns, hit me up at Corey at meanwhileonthefarm.com. Or you can hit me up on the IG page and slide into my DM. dot farm, And be sure to go to the IG page to see how you can win the pins and check out your action steps. If you aren't subscribed to Meanwhile on the Farm on your favorite podcast platform, do that. Today's challenge, scroll back 10 people from your text thread and send them a link to this episode, unless they're your ex. (laughs) Just kidding. If they're a SoundCloud person, let them know that I'm there as well. Again, I'm Corey. This has been Meanwhile on the Farm, and I sincerely appreciate you spending some time with me. Listen, the next time you have a good thought about someone, call them, text them, email them. You never know what kind of day they're having. Remember, if you're silent, it speaks volumes. Peace.